And we're off. Hi, everyone. How are you? It is the, uh, whoops, here we are. It is the 5th of October, 2023. My name is Luke Thomas. Welcome to episode 174 of my live chat. Today will be a fun one. Today will be a fun one. So here's what's going to happen. We're going to give you all the regular disclaimers up front. We're going to get to your questions. If you guys want to leave a donation, you can. But I want to be very careful about something here. Of course, if you just want to take it in for free, that's fine too. We're going to talk to Benil Dariush today. This should be a lot of fun. He's actually waiting here. We're going to pull him in here in just a minute. Um, he actually was making news right before the uh, the podcast, so the timing is quite fortuitous. There's a lot to talk to you about. Uh, he's had a really interesting and accomplished career. I'm actually quite excited to talk to him, and that the news broke is actually, um, again, quite good uh, timing and how fortuitous. So like the video if you don't mind. Uh, subscribe. It's free. It doesn't cost you anything if you want to become a member, and uh, you do so at the uh, friend rate. You can then contribute to any of the donated live chat for free if you want, or you can just take it all in for free. It doesn't matter. I just am glad that you're here. So spread the word. Thanks for being here. We have a lot to get to. Uh, let's get the show going, shall we? Last bit of note, and then we'll bring in Mr. Uh, Dariush. Uh, if you have a donation, it, those will only go to the questions that I'm going to take. So if you have them for Benil, you can get on my Twitter feed at LThomasNews and you can contribute there. But uh, don't save it for the end, please, because it just won't, he won't be here for that. All right. All right. Very good. With that in mind, let's get this process started if we can. Uh, this gentleman, you know, has been a longtime UFC lightweight. He has been um, at the, really at the top of the game for quite some time. We're really excited to talk to him. A lot of questions about what he's up to and what he thinks about the rest of the fight game, if I may. Let's bring in Mr. There he is. Benil Darius. Hi, Benil. How are you? Good, brother. How are you doing? I'm doing quite well. Nice to see you. Thank you for making some time for me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, um, no problem. Are you sitting in the Tesla that you demanded from Elon Musk? No, this one's uh, this one's different. This one's mine. That was my wife's car. That was your wife's car. Okay. Yeah. Very, very good. I hope it's treating you well. Um, in California, right, well, a Tesla is like an easy way to save money, basically. Oh, is that right? How much gas money do you save driving a Tesla? Well, my wife probably saves around 150 bucks a week. So Ooh. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, crazy numbers like that. And then I, I, I would probably save around close to 100 bucks uh, every 10 days. So let me ask you, how many miles do you put on your car in a calendar year? Uh, uh, I, I used to be easily close to 20K. It used to be around 20K before. I think it's a little bit less now, but around 20K. Interesting. All right. Let's let's um, let's get to this if we can. So some news broke. Your manager spoke to, I believe, the Schmo today. I think he's over at Bellator 300 in San Diego. And he said that it looks like you're lining up for a fight with Armin Saryukian. Can you confirm that? Yeah, that's what they've been telling me. But uh, I'm, I'm not sure yet. We're... I, once I get the contract, I'll know for sure. I'll be like, yeah, this is it. But I, I, I think so. I think that's the fight that's going to happen. And I'm pretty excited about it. Now, they did formally offer it to you is what you're saying. Yes. Yes. They've yeah. reached out and they, they want me to fight this guy. And I said, yeah, let's do it. Okay. And do you know if he's accepted? Like, are you just, you're, you're basically at the point where you just haven't put pen to paper, but everything else is in motion. I, I, I believe they've, they've said yes too, but no. Yeah, exactly. Nothing's been uh, pen to paper, like you said. Now, again, we're, we're just talking about where things are projected, but if this fight does take place, when would it take place? They're, they spoke about December. 
I'm not sure specific dates yet, but December. So that could you could you could potentially then be on UFC 296, right? Yeah. 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 Interesting. Uh, what do you make of Armin Saryukian? He's. I mean, it's hard. It's it's like him and Gamrot are the future of the division in a lot of ways, right? They're both a little bit young. Well, he's really young. This kid's really young. What is he, 27, 28? Yeah, something like that. And uh, these guys are the future of the division for sure. I'm uh, I'm an old guy here, but, uh, you know, most of the time I have success with these young guys. So I'm, I'm still getting their way, I guess, is the best way to put it. But the, what I think of him is I, I think the world of him. I think he's just really skilled and uh, he can do it all. In terms of, uh, let me put this layout here. I'm sorry. In terms of what you saw, I'm sure you've seen the Saryukian and Gamrot fight, right? Yeah, it's one of my favorite fights. <laughs> That's a great fight. Uh, what what lesson do you take from that? Because you fought Gamrot, you were able to shut his wrestling down, but Saryukian's got pretty formidable wrestling as well. What how how can, compare and contrast if you don't mind Gamrot's wrestling with Saryukian's wrestling? How are they similar? How are they different? I would say. The, the the basics, I would say uh, Armand seemed to be better. He was better at getting in and getting the takedowns and finishing takedowns, but uh, Gamrot was the better scrambler. And and because he was the better scrambler by the end of the, uh, the round four and five, even about third round maybe, he was getting the clear takedowns. He was starting to get the clear takedowns and control. So I, I, that's what I noticed was... Um, the, the scrambling ability of Gamrot was superior, but the the meat and potatoes, I guess you would call it, of uh, Sarukian was better. So if we can go back for just a minute here in terms of your fight with Gamrot where you were able to really shut his wrestling down, what did you see as the main objectives? Like what did you have, what battles, I should say, did you have to win in order to defeat his wrestling? Well, I, at first I said, you know what? If I have to scramble with him, I'll scramble with him. I don't care. I I you know, I could do it, you know, and that was the first round. And in reality, it, it didn't go my way. If you, if you look at it, if you look at it as objectively as possible, uh, every single scramble, he was in better position. What I was able to do was escape those positions. So in reality, he ended up in the better position. I, I was able to escape and not take damage, which ended up winning me the fight. This was in the first round. In the second and the third round, I said, "All right, no more scrambling with this guy. Uh, we're gonna stick to to the to the basics of the of the sprawl. When he tries to scramble with me, I'm gonna disengage, and uh, that that's that's kind of how it went." Um, was he strong? Was he physically strong? Yeah, he was. He was definitely strong. It's funny because uh, Gamrot, uh, after the fight, came up to me and he's like, "Man, you're so strong." And it was because I was thinking the same thing about him. I was like, he felt, he felt very physically powerful. Uh, and and uh, it, it just, you know, kind of threw me off. But it, it's one of those things where you're, you're in the heat of the moment. I, it, it'd be great to be able to train with these guys to get a better idea of their strength. But Gamron definitely felt strong for sure. If I may, because I want to get to a bunch of other questions that the fans have left. But I got a couple more just for myself to kick things off. Um, one, one thing I will say, this this always stands out. What stood out for me for Gamera that just I just couldn't believe it even after the fight was his speed. I think one thing people don't recognize is his speed. He's actually a lot faster. He was a lot faster than me for sure. And when I watch his other fights, he's actually a lot faster than all the other guys he fights as well. 
oops, here we go. He's so he's strong, he's fast. Um, you were able to defeat him with a combination of what you were able to shut down positions and then you could quickly either disengage or re-threaten. Is that what you would say is where you were able to differentiate? So I paid attention to his game. I knew if I, I if I stuck to the basics, I would eventually close the gap in speed and I would start to land more. And one one thing I noticed about his game, what he does is basically he does like a sprint. He'll do a full-on sprint in terms of scrambles, attack, takedown, whatever. And then he pulls back for a little bit. So what I realized was in the sprint, I would meet him. And in his pullback, I would pressure him. So that way, it just made the rounds look a lot better for me. So it, it, it was a it was a game of inches, and I was taking away inches from him. And and so by the end of the fight, it looked like oh, I beat him by so much, but it wasn't. I mm. barely beat him. I, I I know what I what the fight was. I I know I barely beat him, and I barely beat him like a little bit here, a little bit there, and I took that away from him. In terms of the fight with Charles Oliveira and Islam Makachev, are you leaning one way or the other for the rematch, UFC 294? It's hard to pick against Islam right now. Uh, I think Makachev still has it. Uh, I think Charles will have a better fight, but I, I, I would still lean towards uh, Makachev. What, what was the biggest lesson from your fight with Charles? Man, just that night wasn't my night. It, it it was just not my night. I I don't I don't really have an excuse. Just uh, that's it. It wasn't my night. I I think I could do much better than that, but unfortunately, I didn't get, I didn't get to show it. Can you tell us what the game plan was? Uh, game plan was really simple. Uh, it was to kind of control the exchanges, get on top. Once I get on top, make him work, and then and and, and then you know uh, uh, rinse and repeat. And I, I believed if I kept doing that, shutting down uh, uh, his offense, eventually he would uh, he would break. When you say get on top, now do you mean in his guard, or do you mean like any kind of top control, like the back, whatever, like just having yeah. superior control yeah. and then the the ability to use gravity? Yeah, guard, half guard, back, whatever. I felt good. I I, I in terms of grappling, I felt like I, I was the better grappler, so I, I didn't I didn't really feel threatened to go down with him uh, to the ground. In, after the fact, what was his guard like to deal with? It was less aggressive in terms of submissions, uh, but it was difficult to pass. That's what I would say. I, I, I normally noticed him to be more submission-oriented, but he seemed to be more aware in terms of uh, me passing, me getting to side control or to mount. So he was more uh, fundamentally aware than what I had expected. How, how would you describe his jiu-jitsu? Because Volkanovski had a really weird, not weird, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that. He had a really interesting, I think is a better way to put it, comparison. He was saying if you look at Charles's game and you look at you know traditional submissions, traditional kind of entries and attacks, yes, Charles has better jiu-jitsu. But if you're asking like who's controlling where the fight is actually taking place and in what positions, it's Islam. Would you agree with that characterization? Yeah. Think of, think of Charles like a sniper. He, he's got... You know he's a good sniper. Obviously, he 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 um, he takes his shot, but the problem with the sniper a sniper is it, it, it's the reloading, right? It takes longer to reload, and um, and, and and in that reload time, people you know they they go after him, and so that was kind of what I was thinking is he would 
he would kind of be offensive and then I would go on the, uh, I would take care of that, deal with it and then go on the offense. I, I look at him as a sniper. Typically he, he grabs a submission, jumps on it. He grabs a leg, jumps on it. He, he jumps on the back. He, whatever he sees, he'll jump on where, even if they're, if it's risky where, Oh, I might lose this or something might go wrong, but he's still willing to do it. It, were you surprised at how I'm not sure what the word is, right? But like, dude, their first fight was not very competitive, right? It just wasn't. Were you surprised it looked that way? Yeah, you know, um, I a lot of things you hear in Charles's interviews and in his camp uh, saying like, you know, he just wasn't, he wasn't there, he wasn't healthy, and and you know, it might be true. You know, you you why you know. You have to t take that all into consideration. That's why I don't think the second fight is going to be like the first uh, first fight. So it's definitely going to be a different fight. I think it's going to be a lot harder for Makachev. But I still see Makachev overall winning the fight. Because I, from what I saw, Makachev had an answer just about everything Charles threw at him. So what makes Makachev so good, right? I mean, I, I can tell you that I certainly don't have your eye for the fight. But what I can say is just looking at the numbers, something that really stands out is... Very efficient with what he does, and he doesn't get hit a lot. He doesn't. I know the he got knocked out like I think it was eight years ago yesterday in the yeah. Adriano. I think it was Adriano Martinez. Whoever ended up knocking him out, uh, but since then he's actually been real careful. He he doesn't necessarily like Khabib would just kind of like spam you a little bit with offense. Feels to me like Islam is a little bit more judicious. Would you agree with that, or do you, how do you see it? Yes. So I think of it like this. Uh, I think Makachev is a counter wrestler by by trade i i think he's more of a counter wrestler than an offensive wrestler i know he takes people down and, and he gets a lot of takedowns but i think he's more of a counter wrestler and which would make sense having as habib as his training partner because habib was a offensive wrestler he's constantly coming at you constantly trying to get the takedown and, and so i i think that's kind of built his game is being that counter uh, wrestler and then He's found ways to get takedowns, but he's very efficient with them. He doesn't waste energy. You know, he, he takes one shot, he gets one takedown kind of deal. And then, and then finally, I think what people need to start noticing is his striking is very good, and it's very good defensively. If you watch the fight with uh, Charles, when Charles throws a push kick, he always parries it away. And, and, and when Charles throws his head kicks, he, he defends the head kicks. He throws all the kicks Charles threw. He defended, and so it frustrated Charles. And Charles now starts to say, you know what, I'm going to try to wrestle with him. And, you know, like I said, he's a counter-wrestler. When he tries to wrestle with him, that doesn't go well. He starts trying to elbow him, and he starts reaching. And once he starts reaching and throwing knees, he leaves himself open for the counter. But in, in reality, what created all that was the defensive, uh, uh, defensive ability in striking and in his wrestling. Because when Charles tried to take uh, Makachev down, he wasn't even close. Charles, a bigger knockout threat or a bigger sub threat in your mind? Against Makachev? Sorry, not Makachev. What am I saying? I apologize. Uh, I know he subbed Charles in their first one. Go back to Oliveira. Is Oliveira a bigger knockout threat or a sub threat? Uh, to, uh, to Makachev? Is that what you're saying? I, I, in general. In general. I think... I think right now your your best bet to beat uh, Makachev is probably by KO, uh, and then yeah yeah I would go with KO. I think finding a submission on him will be tricky because if he's so his his 
wrestling defense is so good. How did you score the Makachev Volkanovsky fight? I had it Makachev. I, I, I had it. Um, I want to say either four one or three two Makachev. Yeah, but I had a three two. I had a three two. Here's the thing: that last round, you could make an argument for for a ten eight. So that fight could have even been a draw. I I, I thought Makachev won overall. Uh, obviously, the last round he didn't look that great, but uh, you know. I will say this: If there is a rematch, Volkanovski has a lot more. He's gonna have a lot more confidence. He's gonna have a lot more because you know mm. he was playing a very strategic defensive game, so worried about the takedown. But I think now he's gonna be like, you know what? I don't have to be so strategic. I could be a little bit more aggressive and go forward a little bit. And I think that could play into. Uh, that could play a factor into him being more, uh, you know, um, basically getting those inches in each round and, and, and winning the rounds. Let me ask one more question, and we're going to get to some of the fans, I promise here. I have a personal pet peeve about the way jujitsu is now scored. I understand what the commissions are trying to do. So what they're trying to do is avoid awarding someone just getting a takedown or just getting, let's say, some kind of um, reasonable control position, whatever, and then just really not doing a lot with it and then being like, hey, I was the guy on top. Shouldn't I win this round? They're going to say, well, the other person beat you up on the feet more. We should value that even if there was control time with the position. And I understand trying to solve for that. I don't, I don't think that's a bad idea. But to me, Benil, the way it gets implemented is a real big problem. They're almost not even scoring it at all anymore. Here's what I mean. They're like, well, what did you do with the takedown? And they're only applying any kind of value if there's like obvious damage that comes with it or, you know, you got really close on a choke. Otherwise, I can't find scenarios where they're consistently scoring grappling short of like serious damage or near fight ending potential. And I'm like... It can't really be true that the only value of grappling is at the very far end of success. Like, that's the only grappling we're going to count. Now, how should the back be counted if you don't get close with a sub, but you had it for a long time and you were actually trying? If you take somebody down and you have them in the guard and you have them in the guard for a minute or a minute and a half, I think even if you don't do a lot of damage, that should be counted for something because – a man just held you down for a minute and a half, or or, or a woman, if you're, if you're talking about the female division, right? If someone held you for a minute and a half, that means they had control over you for a minute and a half. If they have your back, for, or, or be thirty seconds, that is still control. I I think we should we should look at it as, uh, uh, it should definitely be counted as points. I, I think to get away from it completely seems a little ridiculous, but. I, I, I still don't understand judging, to be honest with you. I don't know what they're looking for. I don't know why they make the decisions they make. Uh, so it, it's tricky because, for example, the Volkanovski and uh, Makachev fight is, is, is really good. Yeah, Makachev got takedowns and he had control. And in those rounds that he had control, he, I thought he won the rounds. Did he do damage? Absolutely not. I don't think he did any damage. I think... Uh, uh, I think Volkanovski was able to avoid damage and get up. So, but it doesn't change the fact that he still controlled you for that amount of time. It, I would look at it like this. If you have a very close match in terms of striking and then someone has a takedown, 
we should lean towards the one who got the takedown because he's making more of an effort to control you. He's making more of an effort to finish you. Uh, and I don't know. That, that That's kind of where I'm at. But I, I would need to have a better understanding of the whole system still, of the scoring system. You're in California, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I will tell you this, you know, I find most of the commissions in the United States, there's a couple of good ones. Uh, most of them are quite worthless, <laughs> if I could just be honest. Uh, California's is pretty good. California's is pretty good. I bet if you reached out, they would be real receptive um, in helping you. I can tell you that Andy Foster, the guy who runs the California Commission, he puts me on anytime they do a call where they go over rounds and then they, they judge him and then like, how did we get to these scores? He always invites me on just so I can watch and, and actually hear what the judges think. So if you ever want to do that, I bet Foster would be real receptive to it. That's not a bad idea there. That would actually help a lot. But I wonder if it's, is it the same for California as it is all the other states? No, 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 no. Like okay, a, the rules can be slightly different state to state, but also California's commission is like, it's really good. It's a, it's a genuinely a very good commission. I never get to fight in California anyway, so. <laughs> is, <laughs> have you ever, since you joined the UFC, have you fought in California at all? Once. I fought in LA, once. I think. Is, was it just, yeah, just once. Just once. I fought James Vick over at the forum. You won that one, though, so that's a good yeah. one. Yeah. yeah. Where do you, let me ask you, where do you want to fight you haven't fought yet? Anaheim. <laughs> <laughs> At the Honda Center, whatever it's called. Yeah. Seven. It's a seven-minute drive from my house. So. Oh. oh yeah, that, well, would, I can that understand would be. That. That's one spot. But I, you know, I really want to fight in Australia. I really want to fight in Europe. But the problem is, they take so much taxes. Oh. I mean, it's it's. Listen, uh, I'm not complaining about fighter pay. If we want to talk about that, I can complain about it, obviously, but. I'm just telling you, if you're going to take my tax, that much taxes from me, and then I'm going to have to come home, pay my coaches, and then I have to pay taxes upon that. It's brutal. Why Why did I do all that? And then on top of that, to travel to another country and, and to stay there, I have to spend more money to stay there to get acclimated for the hotels, for whatever. It's it's Financially, it just it sucks. There was some debate recently because John McDessie posted his, I'm sure you saw it, the ledger that yeah. he had from fighting in Australia. Sadiq Youssef joked on Twitter that he, the first time he got the same ledger, like how much was actually going to him after everything was taken out, he literally cried. <laughs> he, literally, he literally looked at it and like bawled into tears. He was like, what the hell happened? I, uh, I, fought, I fought in Singapore, and I remember winning and getting the bonus as well. And yeah. uh, when they gave me my check, 20% of it was already gone. And I, I don't remember... It, was this was this during the time of the 50k bonus or the 75k? 50k. So oh, okay. I so I I lost. I don't know exactly how much I was making at that time, but I remember I I, I lost a good uh a good like 30k just from uh, my purse, and then I lost oh. another uh, 10k for my bonus. So forty thousand oh. dollars right off the bat. That is brutal. That's I don't know. I I I really respect the fighters who. Yeah travel to any, to any you know faraway place for all the reasons you articulated plus the taxes it's really it's quite burdensome so but let me ask this how many cornermen do you fly let's say you had to let's say you had to fight in new york how many cornermen would be that you would have to fly out i you get three uh, you get to have three cornermen according to the state the ufc okay. pays for one 
So you would fly out two more. You, you, you three yeah. total. They pay for one. You pay for two more. Yeah. And then you need cornermen and training partners are not always the same. Just so you know, because so, for example, give me an example how they might be different. For example, I have a young guy who, as a training partner, is absolutely amazing. But as a cornerman, he has no clue what to say. So what I do is I bring the the the, the coaches and the vets to be my cornermen. But for training purposes, while I'm away, I need younger guys. So I'll bring younger guys to train with. Did you get killed in terms of taxes when you fought? Because I believe you fought in Abu Dhabi, correct? No, Abu Dhabi is wonderful. Zero taxes. No, they didn't take any money from your from your check, huh? No, they don't. Uh, Canada takes uh, from your uh, from your purse. Uh, pretty much everywhere except for uh, I think U.S. and and uh, Abu Dhabi. I'm sure there's other places. I just don't know. Yeah. By the way, did did uh, any? Did, I, w- I was curious because obviously you went to a place that is predominantly Islamic, and uh, you gave them. The Christian pitch, right? Something like yeah. that. Some 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 kind of uh, pitch speech. Did uh, anyone say anything to you about that? Because you saw recently Bryce Mitchell came in with the Bible and everything, right? Yeah, that was dope. I I, I really <laughs> like that. So to be honest with you, uh, I got a lot of messages. People are like, "Are you okay? Are you okay?" And listen, Abu Dhabi and Dubai, they are great. Here's what happened: People came up to me and said, "Listen, we." We don't care that you said what you said, but here's what we believe. They explained to me like, hey, we, we look at Jesus as a prophet. We don't look at, uh, look at him as the son of God. It, it, it was very cordial. I know, though, uh, this is uh, from experience. I know, though, if I do this in, in, in different parts of the world, in, in, in Muslim countries, that they would kill me. There's, there's no doubt about it, you know. So, But I will say this. In, in the Emirates, there was no issue uh, it was actually beautiful because I got the dialogue with a bunch of people. Good. I'm glad that uh, everyone took it in stride. All right. Yeah. With that being what it is, let me get to some of these fan questions, if I may. Uh, my producer has picked some of these out. So let's get to them. We're going to put them up on the screen here, and then I'll read them out loud. And then I, I purposely did not tell the audience yesterday when I put up the list for questions that I was going to talk to you because I wanted them to be a little bit more generic. So we've picked some out that were kind of a little bit more generic in that way. But we'll get to some specific ones a little bit later, too. All right? All right. Cool. Here we go. Let's do it. So here's – oops, excuse me. Here is this one. Let's throw this up. I'm going to read it out loud to you. Here we go. He wrote. He writes to me, but imagine it's for you. Why don't commissions have more of a say in when fighters should or shouldn't be allowed to fight in the later part of their career? They make decisions on fighters with amateur MMA bouts on whether they can get professionally licensed. So why can't they step in on extreme cases? He's referencing Tony Ferguson and revoke a license when the fighter and the organization the fighter is representing seems to not have health as their number one priority. Now, if I may, before I pitch it to you, Benil, the commission could. They obviously can deny any time a promoter um, submits a bout sheet to the commission. The commission has the right to not license anyone on there or not sanction a bout in particular. So if they wanted to, they could. They're just not electing to do so. So I guess if I could remix the question for you a little bit, Benil, what do you make of the state of Tony Ferguson? And also, just like I'm only asking in a compassionate way. I'm not asking in some kind of, uh, but he's suffering a lot of damage, and these are a lot of losses. And at some point, enough is enough. Are we at that point? Yeah. So here's what I will say. As far as why the commission doesn't do it, I, I, I would probably say it's because of freedom, right? We, uh, we are given the freedom to, to make that decision. And I think that's how it should be because – for example, if you're an alcoholic 
you're you're crushing yourself. The only person who can stop you from drinking is you. You you can't like people unless you you end up in jail. You, you can you can stay home, and if you can afford it, you can drink till you kill yourself. And I I actually know people who have done that. And uh, there's nothing we can do about it legally. So I understand fighting's a little bit different because it's a job. I think the reason why the commission doesn't get too involved is because uh, ultimately it's very hard to tell when CTE has set in because we don't know how to study it. I, I, from my understanding is once you die, you can, we can look at your brain and then tell you, oh, yeah, this, this guy, he, he, uh, he had some serious issues uh, with CTE. So that being said, I think that's one of the reasons why they don't get involved. They don't have enough medical information to make that claim so they would get sued. And then uh, as far as Tony Ferguson goes, I, 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 think it, I think Tony should hang it up. But it's his decision because from my understanding is in his training, he feels better. He's doing better. It's just for some reason, fight day, it's not showing up, you know. And, and he, has, he has reasons for every one of the every one of the fights but from what i felt personally when i was striking with him and we didn't do a lot of striking there was a weird awkward pause in in his uh in his striking almost like a like a uh <laughs> like a glitch in the system so i i, I didn't like i didn't like that uh, i don't i don't think i personally think he should retire but it, it, it's tony's choice it's it's uh that's the that's the great thing about freedom. Let me follow up on a couple times. When you say he had a glitch, is he having a glitch before he throws or he's having a glitch after he throws? When did you observe that in the process of throwing? I would say in between uh, the people, uh, how, how do I explain this? Uh, in the nuance of striking, like, you know, you throw a feint out there, you 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 gauge something, you, you do something like that. And then I would see a, like, like, like a pause, a really, I'm telling you, it felt like I was seeing a glitch in the system. And then from mm. that glitch, he, glitch, he would not reset into a normal thing he does, but like a weird thing he does where he spins and, or, or does something just uh, abnormal. Uh, I, I wonder if that's something he always had and it's actually what made him really successful. But mm. over time, the, the, the pause has gone longer and longer. And so... It, it, it becomes easier to read him and, and counter him. And, and so he becomes more predictable. It's, it's just something I wonder, but I can't really know. Fair enough. In, in terms of your own personal health, and I'm not in any way suggesting we're close to this, but you're a thoughtful guy. I'm sure you've at least thought about what, like what would have to happen for you to be like, I don't think I want this anymore. Cause right now you're obviously still very competitive with the top of the division. I think one, one of the things is really simple. One day I'm, I'm going to get in that octagon and I'm just, I'm going to have a feeling like, hey, this is, I'm done. This isn't for me anymore. I think that's one. But I, th this is the one I always tell, tell every single person in the gym because now I'm, I'm pretty much the oldest guy except for maybe one or two people. I always say, hey, when the young guys start outworking me, then I'll, then I'll retire. But until then, I'm still here. And so far, I haven't had anybody outwork me, so I'm not going anywhere. I'm I'm a little bit grayer than you. I'm a little bit older than you, but you're still handing out some ass whipping. So I'm I'm all about that. Yeah, um, and, and I got like I got 20 year olds in my gym. I got 18 year olds, 22 year olds. So I, I got to make sure I, I keep up with them. 
you know, and then I'm always texting them, hey, are you guys coming to sprints? Are you coming to sprints? <laughs> and the, uh, the numbers have gradually gone down. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> I bet. And people are at 20 years old aren't really signing up for that too often. All right, let's get back to some of these questions. This is a good one. I'm glad we got this one here. I'll read it out to you very quickly. Uh, what do you think about the trend of championship upsets, this person writes? They say, I'm aware of the 35-year-old stat. I'll, I'll tell you what that is in a minute. But how much of that is age and how much of that can be explained through complacency in one's greatness? This person writes, my hunch is that the champs are not having the necessary growth within their respective fight games to keep up with their divisions and upcoming talent. Uh, he's not saying there's a cap on excellence, but in terms of what they're putting in to get the individual development, they're not growing the way they need to once they buy in to their own excellence. I wonder what you make of Grosso having success. Uh, we just saw at 185, obviously, Izzy lose to Sean Strickland, and there could be more certainly around the corner. Volkanovski getting very close, by the way, obviously at 155. What do you make of what this person's asking? I think if you're a champion, you know what everybody does? They study you. They study how you walk, how you, how, how you speak, how you angle, how you faint, how you throw your jab, your kicks, everything. You're studied more. More people are looking out, uh, out to how to beat you. You're the blueprint is, is the way I would say it. If you're the champion, every single person out there is trying to figure out how to beat you, what they have to do to beat you. So I think there's there's that that aspect to it. So if, if someone figures out every single part of your game, it's going to be hard to you know win that fight. And then the other thing is, I, I don't, I'm not sure if age has anything to do with it because Sean is not much older or younger than sorry i can't hear you i lost sound sorry about that my microphone was muted it does let me give you a stat if i may so i believe if you look at all ufc men's title fights and you ask what the success record was of anyone from 125 to 170 so flyweight to welterweight what is the success rate in championship fights of fighters 35 years or older uh, in all of the fights, the answer is only two uh, wins have ever emerged. They both come from Tyron Woodley getting one over Demi and Maya and then getting one over, I forget the other one. That's it. They've never, uh, no one else has ever done it. And on the women's side, Amanda Nunes is the only female fighter over the age of 35 to do it. So, like, I know that everyone's prime is going to be slightly different because some guys get started earlier, some take more damage, some are better about longevity. It's not yeah, to say that everyone I mean ages the same way, but 35. You're starting to get some problems if depending on who you are. Yeah, heavier guys and do what better as they get older. So heavier guys are different. Yeah, I I, I agree. I um I mentioned Sean and and uh, Israel because they're actually relatively close in age, aren't they? they yes, I think, I think uh, 34 and 32, 34 for Izzy. Yeah, so they're not that far apart. I I think like I mentioned earlier, if you're a champion, everyone's studying you and trying to beat you. And then uh, number two, if you're champion, it's really hard to make progress because you, you don't know what to work on. Uh, hey, where am I weak? What can I do better? Uh, also, you could just be prideful and be like, hey, I'm champ. Why do I need to work on that? You know, I'm going to keep doing what I've been doing to be successful. So th I think those are all, all different aspects you can toss in there. You would know better than me, but one thing I've always wondered is like how, like I, I fully agree with what you're saying, which is, you know, once you get it to the spot, you've got a target on your back and everyone is watching your tape and everyone's watching how you beat this one or that one. And like, there's just an enormous amount of investigation about what you're doing. And so that becomes very hard to fight off. The other thing that kind of occurs to me, I wonder what you make of this is, 
it always seems to me like somebody who like bursts through and becomes champion, like a Habib or like an Izzy, right? Where they just have this run, walk right to the title. It's often because it seems to me that they've got some kind of competitive advantage around a particular skill set that the rest of the pack doesn't have yet. And once the rest of the pack eventually adds it to their game or something kind of close to it and their competitive advantage goes away, then the results start looking a little bit more equal. Like Izzy was definitely very studied by Eric Nixick, but I also feel like his fainting game, while everyone uses it a lot more, it doesn't work on the opponents the same way. They're not nearly as fooled by it as they once were. Do you agree or no? Yes, uh, I, I definitely agree with that. I, uh, I think people come in with special uh, uh, niches or whatever it's called. They have special talents, and that really sets them apart. But everyone's closing the gap every day. So the gap's getting closer. And I think in order to avoid that, your fundamentals in all aspects have to just continue to improve. If you have great fundamentals in all aspects, you know, guys like Mayweather, he was really just great at everything. He could infight, he could outfight, uh, and, and it, it, uh, defensively, he was amazing. Offensively, he was also very good. If you, for example, watch the way he broke people's guards, he would start to throw a uh, right, right hook it, and it, a jab right hook just to break a guy's guard. It's, he, he really approached everything so methodically, and his fundamentals were just better. If you have good fundamentals, I think they carry you so far. All right, let's get back to some of these questions, if we may. This one brings you up a little bit. This person didn't know I was going to have you on, so this is actually pretty interesting. Let's see how this one goes. I'll read it out to you. Uh, this person writes, Luke, uh, are people drawing too much from Oliveira's performance against Benil, thinking the rematch with Islam will be different? I mean, the fight with Benil was three minutes long. I think it was a little bit longer than that, but that's about right. And while I do agree that Charles is deserving of the rematch, I do think Islam will win and probably make it look easy again. I think the question he's asking there, Benil, is like, obviously you're a tough opponent, but the fight just didn't go very long. How much can you really say we know about this reformed Charles Oliveira? Do you feel like Oliveira, from what you experienced with him, however brief it may have been, do you feel like you got a read on whether he had cleaned up some of those things? Yeah... Uh, it's like you said, it was a three minute fight. I didn't perform well. And uh, it's hard. It's hard to really gauge it. Um, it's gonna, it's, it's difficult to say if Charles has changed his game so much that he's going to come in there and it's going to shock the world. So I don't think he's changed his game a lot. Uh, I, th I think what we're going to see is him just being more disciplined and more patient in this next fight. And I think that'll be it. But as far as, uh, what that person is saying I, I i see what he's trying to say he, he's saying like you know we didn't get to see a whole lot out of charles does it make sense to give him another title shot and as far as title shots go i'm the last guy you want to ask i have no clue what it takes to get a title shot so i don't know <laughs> have you like did you ever have any conversations about title shots like with anybody yeah. in ufc yeah uh, at the end basically it was like if you beat charles you get a, a title shot <sighs> Fuck, man, that was, I pardon my language, you know, but that's a tall order, man. You had to go through some hammers to get an opportunity like that. That's crazy. Yeah, it's okay. I'll be back. And uh, once, once I, uh, I'll be back basically in the same position again. And they'll, 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 uh, they'll put me back in the race again and try to do the same thing. And they'll try to entice me here and there. But for me, my, by the end of my career, I want to make sure I fought the best guys in my division. And I think so far, 
I'm, I'm doing a pretty decent job of it. Let's go back to one of these real quickly. Um, the fight with Saryukin, if if you are victorious, how where does that put you in your mind? Because the, it's weird, right? I always thought, like, here come the Gamrots and the Saryukians and the Kutataladzes and the Demir Ismogulovs, and they were going to force out all the talent at 155. And some of them have broken through, but unevenly, right? Fazeev can't quite break through, and Gamrot couldn't quite break through. And, like, it's just this weird thing. So, like, if you do beat Saryukian, are you – do you think you're close to a title shot at that point? No. I'll be honest with you. No? I don't think that it's going to move me anywhere. The fight in terms of uh, ranking. Well, then why'd you take it? <laughs> I mean, like I said, I want to fight the best guys in the world. I think he's one of the best guys. And it's not like Dustin Poirier has pretty much flat out said he doesn't want to fight me. And I, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to beg a man to fight me. That's strange. And then, you know, uh, Michael Chandler is the other guy that's near in my division. Come on. That guy's never going to fight until Connor comes back. And uh, right. he's willing to wait everybody's got something, you know, uh, I, I don't know exactly why Dustin doesn't want to fight, but that's, that's where I'm at. Just Dustin Poirier is not interested. And all right, you're not interested. You're not interested. Um, I have, you know, enormous respect for the career of Dustin Poirier and the kind of person that he is and like the philanthropist that he is. Um, you might be a bad matchup for him, right? Yeah, I like, I like Dustin too. Like, I, I, I don't, I don't have any ill will towards them. I, I, it's my job to fight people that are good at fighting, and I want to fight him. And he wasn't interested. I said, okay, I'll go with Armand. Damn, that's a tough fight. That's a tough fight. Uh, by the way, Connor Chandler, who wins? At this fight, hard to say, I, right? <laughs> I don't even think it's going to happen. But in reality, if Connor shows up, I. I with the skills that we know he's he had at one point, it, it's definitely an easy fight for him. But the, the longer it takes, the more I, I, I start to think Chandler's going to actually win because Ooh. Chandler is training. Chandler is staying focused. Chandler understands, like, this is a big one for him. If he can pull this one off, it's, you know, life-changing or whatever. So I, I – uh, I, I would lean towards Connor, but the longer it takes for Connor to get back in there, the, the more I would say uh, Ch Chandler. Uh, are you a fan of boxing? You watch boxing at all? A little bit here, a little bit there. I, I watched the the Canelo fight with. Uh, Perfect. Okay, yeah. there's a question about it. Here we go. Let's go to back to the fans if we can. Pull this one up here. I'll read it to you. Uh, no, excuse me. This one here. This uh, this person says, "I gotta say, I don't understand the interest in Canelo Bud Crawford." They write, you mentioned Canelo 175 being a waste of time, which uh, in general is true. I'm with you in a similar way, but the most skilled fighter of my lifetime moving to 68 feels like a waste of time for two all-time greats. In your mind, what am I missing? As great as Terrence is, do you think he has a reasonable chance to keep uh, to, to beat basically Canelo? Now, um, I actually would love to see this fight, Benil. I realize that it's a gigantic uh, ask of Bud Crawford, although he is explicitly campaigning for a fight at 168. That's with Canelo, that's a two weight class jump, right? That's a three weight class jump because he class. just won at 147, so it'd be 147 to 54 to 60 to 68. It's you an know, okay, so it's an enormous jump. But you saw what he did to Errol Spence, and it drove me nuts after that fight. People were like Spence sucks. No, he doesn't. No, no he doesn't. So he is a quality yeah. boxer. It's just that Bud Crawford fucking is. 
Yeah, you know, he was, he's the next level guy. Your level of interest that. in Crawford Canelo. Selfishly, I want to see it so bad, actually. Selfishly, I would love to see that fight. But the the the, the size difference, I, I would wonder if, if he would move up gradually into that position, I think he would have much more success. But to, to just straight up jump three weight classes seems like a bad idea, but you know, he's he's amazing. I, he might I think for pound if 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 pound for pound was a you know a real thing, he's he's for me for sure the pound for pound uh, best boxer right now. What he did to Earl Spence, I didn't think it was going to be like that. I personally didn't even think it was going to be close to that. Oh, I was the same way. I stupidly predicted. I mean, I'll never do this again. Uh, pick against Bud Crawford, but I stupidly thought. Um, Spence might win, and then he goes in there and just gets absolutely run over by I, Bud Crawford. You yeah, ever seen the I old video of uh, Bud Crawford training with uh, T.J. Dillashaw? Uh, I have not seen that. I thought it was with uh, Lomachenko. Oh, it might have been him. I think him and Bud have crossed paths. You could be right. You oh. could be right. It could be Lomachenko. But and you've I, seen like clips, by the way, maybe of uh, you know Bud wrestled in high school, right? Like he actually yeah, was pretty I see good. Yeah, wrestle. I see him like do like the front headlocks and the and the freestyle throws. I was like, oh my gosh, this guy can actually wrestle too. Wow. I, I you know, was, I wonder about that. Like a guy who's obviously got. I mean, his vision, his timing. Those are skills he could take into virtually any sport, and certainly into any combat sport. With a guy who can wrestle and box the way he can, he he probably could have been a champion if he had taken up MMA from day one, right? Though he's he's got all the things you would need, right? Yeah, I mean, listen, personally, it wasn't my talent that's kept me here for so long. It, it was my desire and durability, my you know ability to get up and practice when when I didn't want to or or others weren't willing to. Kim, on the other hand. He's extremely talented, and if he was willing to do the same amount of work he's put into boxing, into MMA, or whatever, he would be he would be successful. There's no doubt about it. You ever trained with any high level boxers or any anybody like that? Not like that. Not even no. I've, I've trained with some professional boxers, but not nothing close to that. Have you? Who's the um, who's the highest level of athlete from another sport that you got to train with? Well, probably Giga for kickboxing. I've uh, I've wrestled with some like NCAA champions and All Americans, uh, and then in Jiu Jitsu, I've trained with a ton of world champions in Jiu Jitsu. So uh, it, it sucks because in MMA, you're never gonna be the best at anything. You might be the best MMA fighter, but you're not the best wrestler. You're not the best boxer. You're not the best kickboxer. You're not the best Jiu Jitsu guy. It's a it's a weird place to be. I, it, it, it is because like everything is kind of distilled down a level and then combined and that's what makes it so dangerous. But relative to the common standard from where that particular sport originates, it's it's just a lesser version of it. By def it has to be. You can't be you can't be as good as someone who focuses on that and then also be that good. Like even I've I've even asked and you were a high level jujitsu guy as well. I asked Gilbert Burns, like, how's your jujitsu these days? And he was like, It's good for MMA. It's Terrible yeah. for jujitsu, you know that's, what I mean? That's, that, that's the best way I would put it. It's good for MMA. I, I go train with like really good jujitsu guys. I was there maybe two weeks ago training with some of the best jujitsu guys, and they play with me. Is is the best way I put it? Uh, you know, these guys are high level, and uh, I'm giving them a I'm giving them a match, but in reality, they're just playing with me. All right, let's go back to some of these questions. You might hear my daughter crying in the back. She's fine. 
Don't she's worry, just, that's why I'm in the car. <laughs> if not, she just got back would, from school, so yeah, there's not much I can do. Up the house. How, how many kids do you have? I got two. I got a two-year-old and a six-month-old. Okay, so I got a four-year-old, bro, and it's... Well, let me tell you something. Once they become ambulatory, like they can walk around, it's it's curtains for you. Yeah, it's curtains. I, call it, I call it tornado twos, but at the same time, it's so fun. It is. It can be. It can be great, but when you're like trying to work, it's that's a little much. All right. Let me get you one of these questions. This is a fun one. Actually, I, I do like this one. Let's get a fun question in here if we can. So I'll pull up this one, which is, all right, Luke and special guest. The other night, Dana White mentioned he's in the bull business after buying a bull. So, Benil Dariush, what kind of wild S would you buy slash hobbies would you envision yourself pursuing if overnight you became a billionaire? What would you invest in your time? Coffee. I like coffee, coffee a lot. Yeah, I like uh, coffee and I, you know, there's different types of coffee and we don't get the best coffee in general in, in, uh, in America and the way it's prepared and all these things. I, I like coffee, so I, I've, I've nerded out about it. There's a lot of things that you could do with coffee and it changes the flavor. And, you know, people talk about, oh, this coffee is earthy. Earthy just means it tastes like dirt. I don't like earthy coffee. I, I like uh, I like coffee that tastes like fruit almost it's a little bit sour and, and in order to do that the way you process it is very different you would you would take the the whole fruit the coffee fruit and you would uh you would uh, leave it to ferment the the seed to ferment in there and then you extract the seed which which they call the coffee bean um and, and as you do that the flavor of it is is direct it's like it's a huge difference it tastes much better that way so they're the, you know, I like coffee. I guess I would jump into coffee. I do love coffee. How many cups a day do you drink? One, maybe zero, but I uh, one one or zero. I, I don't. I drink coffee for fun. I don't. I don't really need the energy. So if if, if in the morning I didn't get a chance to uh, grab a coffee and, and I can't do it in the afternoon while I sit down and, and hang out with the kids, I'll, I'll skip it. I don't like drinking coffee late. I don't have more than two cups a day. That's my limit, and sometimes I only have one. But let me just tell you, my mornings would be impossible without a cup of coffee. It's like, it's my favorite part of the morning by a wide margin, yeah. a wide I, margin. I was in Vietnam and I uh, decided I was going to have coffee whenever. Turns out the Vietnamese coffee is a little bit different. They're robusta beans and they can have anywhere between two to four, four times more caffeine in them. And I was having like three cups a day and I, I couldn't sleep. My wife was... <laughs> My wife was worried about me. She's like, are you okay? I was like, no, I don't think I'm okay, but it's going to be okay. I do. I'll, I'll try it. Have you had the Turk? You must have had the Turkish coffee that comes in the sand. You know yeah, what I'm talking about? I, yeah, I make that at home. They, what you do is you just make it really fine, the, the, the coffee bean, and, and then you can just, over the stove, you can uh, you can heat it up, uh, boil, boil it. But um, if you really want that, uh, the Turkish style or... or uh, the Greek or Armenian. Yeah, Greek. They, they all, all those countries claim it. it. I don't know who yeah. had it, but you know. Uh, yeah. You, you could add a little bit of cardamom and it, it, it really adds that flavor for that uh, style of coffee. By the way, how much do you eat Persian food? Depends. Uh, right now, I would say not a lot just because uh, getting older, I want to keep my weight down. But if I don't have to keep my weight down, I probably eat it every day. Let me tell you something. Last weekend, I, and I, my pronunciation is going to be bad. I'm letting you know up front. I had the Sultani, and then I had the, I think it's pronounced Barg, Barg, Barg yeah. the, the thing. 
Yeah. Heaven on earth. Heaven yeah, on I mean, earth. Sultani pretty much just means the kingly one. Like it's it's ah, okay. <laughs> it's for kings, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I got the two little meat skewers and then the and rice. And they put the tomato and then, in the rice. The whole thing. Yeah. The the tomato. Here's a secret. You know, you put the uh, I forget the name of the 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 the, the seasoning on it, but sumac. Sumac, yeah. yeah. But what you want to do is you want to put a little, you want to put a butter in in the rice. Ooh, changes the game. Okay, I haven't done that yeah. yet. I'm gonna have to yeah. do that next time. Let's get back to some of these questions with the time remaining that we have. All here right. we go. This person's got an interesting one here. They ask uh, Benil, "What is the m more triumphant victory? Is he finally KOing Pereira after losing to him three times, basically, or the sort of imaginary scenario?" where Max was able to get another fight with Volkanovski and then KO'd him. Now, of course, one of these really happened, one of these didn't, but let's assume for the sake of argument that the latter has happened. What Izzy did was pretty special, I thought, to beat Pereira the way that he did. But if Volk was able, or excuse me, if Max was able to come back and beat Volkanovski after losing three times, and each time got worse than the last one, uh, sort of, um, I'd be, that'd be quite something, would it not? Yeah, I mean, I would put him at the same level, right? It's 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 hard to say one's bigger than the other because it's they're the same thing. You lost to the same guy three four times in a row, and and then you finally beat him. So I, I would put him at the same level. You you could make an argument that Max's win would be greater because all three fights were in the UFC, sure. But I mean Pereira beat Izzy in the UFC as well. Do you have a favorite win? Maybe the Gamrot fight, but not not because of the fight itself. I love the fight. The fight was fun. I, I I just enjoy fighting in general. My favorite part was I had my daughter with me. I had my daughter with me pretty much the the whole two weeks I was there, and she wants to do this and she wants to do that, and I'm cutting weight and I'm going I'm going to get my uh, like her meals and I'm walking around and doing whatever she wants to do, and I felt I could feel everybody staring at me, especially the fighters, and thinking to themselves. This guy's a clown. He's here for a paycheck, and then he's going home. Like that's how I felt they were looking at me. And so when I got into the fight and I started fighting, and the fight, you know, it, it, it was a dog fight, and then I win the fight, and then first thing I do after I'm done, I go clean up, I grab my daughter again, and then we go, we go do the same exact thing, you know, as we were doing before. She's like, oh, I want this in the middle of my interview. She's calling me, she, whatever. That was probably my favorite thing so far in my career. You know, I, I went there the same way I came, and I came back the same way. I, I went there a dad and came back a dad. The fighting is just a, I get a 15 minutes of freedom. Do you have a one particular loss you want back more than the other ones? I, I don't know. I think I, I want all my losses back, to be honest with you. That's I, what I most do. fighters tell me, to be honest. Yeah, they usually don't really, focus on one. Right now, the, the, the knife of uh, Oliveira probably – you know, it, it, it's, it, it feels the worst because it's, it's new, but in reality, I want all my losses back. If, if you, if, you know, if it was, if there was an option to just fight all of them from all from the beginning, I would start all. all. Let me ask you this question. Um, and I hope you know that I'm only asking this because I have tremendous respect for your career. And, and I feel like I have an opportunity to ask something I ordinarily would not, but like, for example, let's take Ronda Rousey. She uh, she gets she gets beat real bad by Holly Holm, and then she tried to fight Amanda Nunes again. She got pasted again, but it looked like she just genuinely could not regain composure 
under fire. Um, and for example, if I take your loss to Edson Barboza, you know, where it was, it was kind of a bad knockout, you were not traumatized, at least from the outside looking in, you were not traumatized in the same way that she was traumatized. And I'm again, I'm not passing judgment like I would have been fine. That's not my argument. But rather, how are you? My question would be, how are you able to um, deal with the difficulty of that? But the other very good fighters who have achieved a lot, they become like instantly derailed by something that goes quite south for them. I think a lot of it has to do with faith. You know, I go back uh, back to my faith. I, I spent a lot of prayer to uh, speak to God and, and, and um, read my Bible and, and, and kind of understand how the world works and remember that it, it, the world doesn't revolve around me and uh, I, I have my part to play. And, and, and so that, that helps a lot. But ultimately, my desire to compete is still there. And I, I, I believe that's where the Lord wants me, is still competing. So I get up, I dust myself off and go back out there. Uh, I don't care what the world thinks of me. I compete for the audience of one. So it's really easy when I lose, you know, I still know God loves me. I still know I'm, 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 you know, my family loves me. I still know I could just dust myself off and get up and go. I am not, I'm not at, uh, I'm not at the mercy of like Twitter or Instagram or, 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 you know, whatever it may be, whether it's, uh, you know, people can send me whatever they want. It, 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 it's, I just laugh about it. I laugh and move on because, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to get, like I said, dust myself off, get back out there and, and compete again. You never had to deal with like um, uh, doubts or, uh, you, know, you know, I've seen certain kind of fighters like not be able to engage in particular kind of ranges in the same way. You never had to deal with any of those, because obviously it looks like you're on the other, whatever happened, you're on the other side of it, but that was never a part of yeah, the recovery. I mean, of course I have doubts. Uh, I went two years without a win. I lost a draw and a loss. So Damn. I had a crazy amount of doubts, but I still felt that fighting is where God wanted me. I, I, I healed up my body and I, and I just got out there and I, and, uh, and, and I did it again. And it, in terms of doubts, my doubts were so bad when I went to the Thiago Moises fought, uh, fight. I had planned to do mostly striking in that fight. I, I, I was going to use a lot of striking because, uh, I, I felt his jiu-jitsu was pretty good, so I was going to avoid his jiu-jitsu. But I was so, so terrified, so stiff. I just kept grabbing him and, and just dragging him to the ground. And it wasn't pretty, but, you know, I got the win. All right, last one from the audience, if I may. It's actually perfect for you, which is tips for progressing at a faster rate as a hobbyist BJJ white belt. What do you think? What's the best piece of advice you could give them? As a white belt? You want to focus on basics, get good at the basics. But at the same time, you know, it's okay. You know, people get, will give you a hard time if you watch moves online, if you try to study moves here and there. It's it's not a bad idea. You should absorb as much knowledge as you can. And then what, what happens is is you, you start to filter out moves. And my coach puts it like, like this, like eat the meat, spit out the bones. You're going to take in as much as you can that's beneficial to you and spit out the rest. All right. With that in mind, we're going to let you go. But, Benil, I greatly appreciate your time. I greatly appreciate your generosity of uh, spirit and candor. But before we go, very quickly, uh, where can folks find you? What's 
how, how plug whatever it is you would need to plug. Floor is uh, Not really big on. I, 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 uh, you'll find me on Twitter and Instagram and uh, Facebook. I mean, I don't spend a lot of time there, and I'm I'm sorry. You know, I, I wish I was better with fans. I will say this, but I, I I prefer to spend most of my time with my family. You know, outside of training and stuff. So. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram. If you can spell my name, you can find me there. You can find me on Twitter. All it requires is, is you to be able to spell and Google me. <laughs> um, if I may, you know what's interesting? You know, I have to I have to be on social media for my job. And on certain platforms, I've got a decent audience. and other ones, I really don't. But it's not that I don't like interacting with fans because I actually do. But just being on social media constantly, boy, I got to tell you, that is terrible it's got to be terrible for me it feels like i'm it feels like i'm smoking or so something my, like the amount my, of my, yeah my issue is a little bit different <clears throat> i want to make sure i don't get prideful i want to make sure i stay humble and if i spend a lot of time on social media where people are constantly building me up and you know praising me uh, and you know, if I get engaged too much in that, it, it's it's gonna. I think it's gonna ruin me. So I I, I stay away from that because uh, I don't think I have the mental fortitude to be, to stay on social media and stay because continue to stay the same person that I am. I think social media could easily uh, influence me for the worse. All right. Well, if you want to get on him on social media, when he's on, you can find him, Benil Dariush. I hope you get on that UFC 296 card, and the Armin Saryukian fight should be incredible, dude. Thanks for taking some time with for us today. We really appreciate it, and uh, yeah, we'll talk soon. Yeah, my pleasure, brother. It's going to be a dope fight. It's going to be a great fight. I can't wait to see it. Thank you, Benil. Yeah, take care. There he is. All right, Benil Dariush. Thank you for his time. We greatly appreciate it. Um, if there are any other questions and then we'll get to some of the ones that you guys oh you know what you guys were asking me about the uh the dylan danis like let me re let me show you this question if i may there was one that i saw that i did want to get to if i could i just got to find it here very quickly uh yeah here it is this is the one that's got a few upvotes let me show it to you very very quickly here it is let me pull it down a little bit so you guys can see it it's like right about there yeah here it is. Question, Luke. Given the boom in popularity for Dylan Dennis and the overwhelming encouragement for his shaming of Logan Paul's girlfriend, I couldn't help but question why exa what exactly resonated with the crowd of people who found it to be something worth supporting. The only logical explanation is that it is insecurity because any logical and secure man wouldn't care about the number of partners or experiences their partner had. I don't know about not care at all, but yes, in general, wouldn't care. I also question the general notion that, quote, high-value men. These are terms that morons use in the real world. As the insult community, yeah, exactly, would call them wouldn't want a partner who has th had that many experiences. Seems to me that they would only want uh, that so they could manipulate an inexperienced person into thinking they're greater than they actually are. Yeah, I mean, there's probably a few things going on there. But you're asking the wrong guy. You're asking the wrong guy because I don't know what would be charming about what he did. Um, you would have to ask uh, someone of his audience that question. I couldn't possibly tell you. I mean, this idea that like... <laughs> It's like, dude, who is taking advice on what kind of women they want in their life from incels? Like the people least fucking credible on this question. Anybody who tells you that they want an experienced partner, I mean, they just can't fuck at all. Like they're just, <laughs> these are people who can't fuck. Like they can't do this job effectively at all, right? I mean, that's what we're dealing with here. So people are like, oh, I would want someone who, you know, the body count wasn't that high. Well, listen, I'm not looking for a record breaker per se, but, um, you know,
pitching a few innings is definitely going to make him better. I mean, there's no denying that. You know, so oh, I, to put that ridiculous and silly ass argument to bed. But the other one is, I don't really know. I mean, it just it looks. I can say this: it looks to me like there's a giant audience inside of combat sports or whatever it is he's cultivating that thinks the uh, sexual humiliation of women is funny and or otherwise interesting and or admirable. So just think about what kind of person would would be that person. Um, not to say that anyone's above like criticism or that there is, you know, there's nothing otherwise contemptible about her. I don't know. I don't, I don't know who this person is in any real capacity, but um, you know, you're asking a question about like, who would this appeal to? It would appeal to somebody who thinks that that kind of thing is awesome. And the only person, I mean, Dylan's sort of playing maestro, but the only person who could think that is just, you know, these are not people whose advice on, romantic or sexual relationships you ever need to listen to like ever the least qualified fucking candidates so take that for what it's worth all right i don't know what kind of uh i don't think there's going to be a whole lot because when, whenever we do these fighter live chats it always kind of changes the flow of anything if you've got a donation now would be the time to put it in you don't have to you're certainly under no obligation i don't think we have a ton this time by virtue of how this kind of chat went so we're trying to still figure out this format. Do we do these on Tuesday? Do a regular live chat on Thursday to kind of keep it what it is? I don't really know what the answer. We're still, again, we're still trying to figure all this out. So I appreciate everyone who has, you know, stuck with us. You know what you can do? Do I have my email? You can email me. LukeThomasNews at gmail.com. LukeThomasNews at gmail.com. Do you want these to be separate on a Tuesday or something? And then the regular live chats on a Thursday? How do you want us to arrange these? Because it does... I love doing both of them, but it does change the flow a little bit. So we're just trying to figure out best practices. You can help with that. All right. With that in mind, Jules, thank you, my friend. Very nice of you. Uh, let's see. Johnston Zhang writes, for your guest host, Alex Jones, <laughs> why does the U.S. government want to turn frogs freaking gay? Turn these frogs gay. Um, I don't know. You would have to ask somebody who doesn't read books. Uh, all right. Here we go. For you and your real surprise guest, Chito Vera, to share between the two of you. That's funny. No, it was not Cheeto. Although, shouts to Cheeto. He's great. Uh, Eric, thank you for coming a member. Very, very helpful for me. I really appreciate it. Here we go. From Lee, he asks, which sport has a better year? Excuse me, which sport has had a better year? Boxing, MMA, and which two fights would you choose as evidence for your choice? Lee in Taiwan. Okay. So, which and which two fights? So, this one's pretty easy. Um, yeah, this one's very easy. So, the answer is boxing. Now, I want to be clear about something. Most years, I would not say boxing. In fact, in 2024, we may not say boxing. So I want to, when I say the answer is boxing for 2023, this is not me making a claim that boxing has in every way overtaken MMA or that it will continue to overtake MMA or that it's going to be better than MMA in 2024. Not what I'm arguing, not the position I'm advocating. You're merely asking about 2023. So for this year, the answer is definitely boxing. It's definitely boxing. I mean, just in terms of the size of the fight, MMA has had nothing that matches the size of Tank versus Ryan, right? Just the pure spectacle of it. And the transformative, I think, leap that Tank Davis took is pretty fucking big. So there's that. And you could see it's a big deal because who's, who's chirping about him every day on Twitter? It's Sean O'Malley, right? So that tells you how much of a big turn he's taken. Sean, Sean's trying to get that, trying to get that crossover fight. And I think we all understand that. So that's first. Second of all, guys, I had a religious experience 
at Spence versus Crawford. You saw my post-fight reaction. You saw the videos that we put out on social media, and I could not believe not just that he had won, but the magisterial way in which he had dispatched Errol Spence. And you just heard me say it to Benil Dariush about people being like, oh, Spence sucks. Get out of here. Nonsense. Nonsense. Didn't have a great night. That is true. Didn't have a great night. But he is an extremely talented fighter. You know, it was a th- it was, he had three of the belts in that weight class, and he had broken the faces of two of the guys in that weight class to get it. He was undefeated, never been knocked down. Like, what are people talking about? Like, it's just crazy. Anyway, so that's the Spence one. Now, the Canelo one, I think uh, Dan Raphael said it ended up doing between like 650, 750K uh, buys. So 650, 700, whatever it ended up being, that's pretty good. But I wouldn't necessarily say, I mean, Charlo didn't show up. So I wouldn't put that on there, but I would put those two. But as the backup, what I would say is, and it's going to happen in December in all likelihood, uh, Fury versus um, Usyk. You know, they're going to unify another weight class, this one being the heavyweight division between the guy who's got all but one of the belts and then the guy who could be a generational talent. Like, dude, I mean, MMA is just not doing stuff like that. Oh, John is going to fight Stipe. Not the same thing. Not the same thing. John, you know, he beat Cyril Gaon, who was overmatched, and I don't know what the hell that was, but, you know, he he clowned him. I mean, you know, John did his job. But it's, you know, it was clear he was going against a guy who was not ready for prime time in that way. And, you know, Stipe could be very competitive. I know BC thinks that. I, I can't say that he's wrong, but I have a feeling, what is he, 42 at this point? I have a feeling that it's not going to be nearly as competitive as folks hope or whatever version you get of Stipe. It could be good, but it's not going to be what it once was. That's not the same as Fury and Usyk. That's not the same at all. And that's just the bonus fight. That doesn't even count the other two. So you had a generational crossover fight in terms of how important it was in Spence Crawford. And you had a gigantic fight in terms of just pop culture awareness and tank and Ryan and um, MMA's had some, MMA's had some, I mean, here's the thing. I'm saying boxing had a better year because it did, but MMA didn't have a bad year. It just didn't have that kind of year. So, you know, Justin versus Dustin was pretty great, but there was no, there was no, um, I mean, I guess you got the one with what you call it. You got the one with, uh, with John, I think that was 2023, whenever that was, or maybe that was 2022 at this point, but, um, Sean O'Malley's breakout was kind of interesting. Certainly that's a big deal. Um, you know, Dustin, Justin, as I mentioned, I think the Islam fight coming up this weekend is going to be real big. It's going to be really good. You know, there's going to be, don't get me wrong. I mean, UFC is having a good year. But boxing's having an exceptional year, and that would be the difference. Eric writes, prediction for Commanders versus Bears tonight. Great question. It's at home, another sellout, third sellout in a row. Can't tell you the last time FedEx Field had three sellouts before the game in a row. I literally can't even remember the last time that happens. I remember when Shanahan was at his end here, and there, the, the stadium was like 10% full. So... um, I'll say this, Sam Howell, I think, is a very talented QB. You can win with him. I don't think he's one of the best in the league, but I think you can win with him. Um, I'm a little bit discouraged by what's happened to Chase Young. I don't think he's delivering the way that he's supposed to be delivering. Uh, Terry McLaurin, uh, McLaurin is just one of my favorite players on the team. So if he's healthy enough to have a great night, I think we're in good shape. Um, I think the Commanders win. I'll say... I'll say 24-17. I think it'll be uncomfortably close for how absolute dog shit the Bears are. But I like the Commanders to win at home, and I think that would put them at what? 
two and two. What what is the what is the commander's record? Let's see. I can't even remember. Commander's record. They are what are they? Commanders are yeah, they're two and two. So let's bring them to three and two. Yeah. All right. Very good. Uh, Super Dave Fairtex asks, does he feel like, well, Volk moving up stole his title shot? Um, I should have asked him that. We didn't get an opportunity to. So, But thank you, Super Dave, for being a great member. We really appreciate it. Do you guys know the best coffee is made out of Apes Mirror? Uh, Don't think that's true. Yeah. Don't think that's true. All right. I just saw you on MMA Uncensored. I just saw on MMA Uncensored that he's out. I don't know what that means. Oh, you mean uh, someone's out of the fight? The uh, Dariush and Saryukian fight? Well, I guess we'll see. Uh, this person's Captain V writes, Luke, your takeaways from that interview. Also, name the fights from the next two fight nights you are most excited about. Takeaways from the interview. First of all, Benil is just a very nice guy. I like talking to him. You know, we don't see the world quite the same way, but I have, you know, he's a great fighter. He's a great fighter. I just have people who... My respect runs much closer to like, are you actually good at this job or not? You know, I'm not really interested in taking to social media to sexually humiliate the, the, the wives or girlfriends of rivals that, I mean, the unexamined life is not worth living. And let me tell you, that's the unexamined life. Um, but you know, I don't expect people to like what I like. So there's that. My biggest takeaway was one, um, (laughs) He just doesn't play the game that we often recommend. We often recommend not taking certain fights at certain times, not doing those kinds of things that would trip you up to really getting your maximized potential. And he just has a very different view. He has a view that centers himself in this kind of religious quest almost, or at least obligation is maybe a better way to put it, however he might word it. And that has denied him real opportunities. That has denied him real opportunities. There can be no question about it. Um, I would also say that I thought his take on Tony and the glitching was alarming, alarming. I need to go back and listen to it. But when he said that, it gave me, did that sound good to you? It didn't sound good to me, right? That sounded kind of bad. Um, what he was describing, right? The phenomenon that Tony was experiencing that it was, that was just, to borrow the word that apparently set Twitter on fire last week, that was disconcerting. That was disconcerting, to put it mildly. Um, and I think his belief that Islam is going to beat Charles, I think that's about where I'm at too. It's going to be much closer this time. I think Charles is going to make a much better account of himself. But I still kind of think Islam gets it done. And the way in which he contrasted Habib from Islam was interesting as well. Really like that part. Uh, okay. Just got the record, just for the record, tea is better than coffee. Tea is better than coffee if, tea is better than coffee in the same way a rectal exam is better than a, like a blowjob. Like, in no way is that true, right? (laughs) Like, who picks the rectal exam over the BJ? Only somebody who would think tea is better than coffee. Listen, tea has its place. I'm not against tea. Like a rectal exam. T might have a place in your life once every few years after the age of 40 or 50. But outside of that, you know, it's just it's just coffee is an inherently superior beast in every way. T is T 
is for people who, you know, drink a Diet Coke for pep. I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy. All right, Brian Campbell jokes about how you scam us in the live chat. That's true. But he definitely scammed me. Ooh, I paid $3 <coughs> to message BC on Cameo, and he never replied. You know what? I might take this video of this portion of the conversation and bring it up in tomorrow's MK. How about that? How about that? By the way, tomorrow's MK, uh, John Nash is going to join the show to walk everyone through those one contracts that are apparently much worse than UFC contracts. How about that? John Nash tomorrow, noon, ET, 9 a.m. PST on MK. We're going to have a nice conversation about that. But I'll bring this up with BC tomorrow. This is very, very interesting. Very interesting. Uh, okay. Luke, I'm going to tell you, Gordon Ryan cosplays you. Yeah, I wish I had some of Gordon Ryan's physique, but I am not on drugs. Uh, I wish I was. I might should be on drugs, but I'm not on drugs. So that's not really a part of my life. Luke, I find this person writes Dildo Dennis repulsive. With that said, he does have great tattoos. Yes, he does. Dylan Dennis has excellent tattoos. I mean, top of the food chain tattoos. My question, do you know where he got them? Somebody told me. So, oh, you know what? I should have asked. The guy who did this, this was done by, this is the Eagle Globe and Anchor. It's maybe my favorite tattoo. This was uh, done in uh, Civilization Tattoo in Richmond, Virginia. The guy who did it, his name is John Setzer. If you guys are in the Richmond, Virginia area, by all means, I encourage you to go see him. He does extremely quality work. He does American traditional and then Japanese traditional. He told me the name of it. He, and um, there was a guy, his apprentice in the shop that day when I got this, um, had had just gotten a full leg, thigh, Tabori tattoo. Tabori is the poking that they get. The, 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 the poking, right? He got a full thigh Tabori tattoo, and he said it was the most painful fucking thing he'd ever done in his life. They both were raving about the guy who had done Dylan Dennis's tattoos. And in fact, what they had told me in the time in which I was getting, they're like, yo, you know who sucks? <laughs> they're like, Dylan Dennis, but we, fuck, man. I hate, they go like, they both were like, I hate to admit it. His tattoos are super clean. They are, dude. He did a good job with that and, and, and identifying. I do not know the name of the guy. They told me. Uh, he's some guy out of New York, I believe. Um, his Japanese work is as close to perfect as it gets. I mean, that's a, that that must have been very expensive tattooing. You know, we're talking five hundred, a thousand an hour or more for that. That's that's how good his tattoos are. His tattoos are inversely good to his boxing. Like you know how bad his boxing. Is? That's how good his tattoos are, right? Uh, let's see. Mojo Khalifa is a new member. Thanks, Mojo. We appreciate you, bro. Or lady, whoever you are. All good. Uh, let's see. What do we got here? Are there still people who have a single skill set that could dominate MMA? I think Buakau, um, even now could contend with well-rounded skills. Nah, you need a little bit of everything. But, dude, we've seen with Habib, with Izzy, with lots of these guys, they can play the levels as needed, but they still have the single concentration where they are able to lord this skill and these particular set of skills in this particular dimension of the fight game over their opposition. We were just talking about it with Benil. Um, that's a real thing. That's a very real thing. It's just you can't have, like, it, it doesn't matter. Like, for example, like Bud Crawford can wrestle, but let's just pick Canelo. Like, Canelo is a better boxer than literally anyone in the UFC, right? Like, there's no one even close to as good as he is. So you're talking about someone who has a very dominant skill set relative to the opposition in that particular respect. Is that enough to overcome his deficiencies? No. Like, you still have to have 
you still have to be able to have basic core, not a little more than basic. You have to have, I would say, medium level of core competencies uh, adjusted across the different levels of the game. And then on top of it, having, you know, have a real dominant side of the game that you can add on top of it. That's That seems to be currently the best model for success. Uh, question for Luke. I want to ask for a raise at work and wondered if you had advice. I'm debating asking based just on the merits of my work versus bluffing another job offer as leverage. Okay, here's the thing about the... I, I, I've... I, I've <laughs> you have to be very careful about bluffing with a job offer for a couple of reasons. One, they might ask for the offer letter, in which case now you're going to do what? Commit fraud by making up one? You'll get fired for this if they discover it. That's the first thing I'd say. So I would be very careful with that. And the second part is... Um, you know, if they call you on the bluff, even if they don't fire you and you don't have any real way to like back it up, it's curtains for you. Like you, it's going to be real bad for you. So don't, don't do that. Um, Jesus, my wife just keeps on messaging me. Let's see what's happening here. Is the Wi-Fi working? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what's working. Um, listen, if you're going to ask for a raise, ask for a raise. You should go in there with a very clear pitch in mind. You should go in there with a figure in mind and you should go in there with an explanation in mind and you should be very matter of fact with it. Not angry, not insanely, uh, you know, passive aggressive, not like what's happening here. Not like, hey, everybody, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen, but rather very clear. I believe I'm entitled to this. I believe that um, here's the reasons for this. Here's what I'm asking. I think the company can pay for this. I think the company should. I believe my work merits that. And listen, I want to be here for a long time. And it's these kinds of um, gestures from the company and recognizing the value that I bring and the consistent level of quality that would make something like this, that would honor the kind of you know contributions that I believe that I'm making to this team and to this, to this business. And you just be very declarative about it. Cause here's the thing, listen, the worst that's going to happen if you're professional, but direct is they're just going to say no, they'll just say no. Okay, good. Now it's documented. Now it's documented. You made a pitch. This was the terms. This is what you asked. Here's why. You know, everyone wins under your scenario. They said no. You should document everything about that interaction because when you do get another letter or when it's time to go look at another opportunity and you do want to leverage this against the company, you can be like, yeah, remember when you guys didn't give me a raise when I asked for one? Well, they're gonna. And even if you do match it, how can I trust that you're going to continue to, you know, uh, keep up with what I think the value is that I'm contributing, you should go even higher and you can even ask even more. So listen, the worst that they're going to say is go fuck yourself. That's the worst that they'll say. No. Okay. They said no, but now it's on record. Now it's on record that you tried, you contributed. They said no, good to go. I'm going to file that away and I'm going to keep that for the future. And in the future, that denial, if you are as good as you say you are, will become extremely helpful for you. Yeah. I've done that one before. I was like, well, I, I did try to get you to give me a raise, and you did say no. And they're usually like, they don't like that. They don't like that. But it completely undresses the pretense of any argument they could make back to you. You literally tried to give them first dibs on this, and they didn't want it. And now someone else might, and now you're like, right, right. Let's You, you need to come up off them pockets. Thanks. All right. If I had to guess why people support the Danis trolling, it's more to do with disliking Logan than it is his partner. I mean, you could dislike Logan and not think that shit is charming. This person writes, I'm not an incel. Don't come at me. I don't support it. Yeah, I mean, listen, there's probably a few different shades of what's happening. Some people just like trolling. Some people might think, who knows? There's going to be a range of things. 
But, you know, you just have to ask yourself, like, who would think that is awesome? It's people who have issues with women. <laughs> like, it would, it would never occur to someone who has a healthy relationship with women to, like, even care, right? Or not care much anyway. Like, it, it, it wouldn't even, if, so to someone who has, who doesn't, like, irrationally hate women or is incapable of, forming lasting romantic relationships with them if you're not that person what exactly is the charm like it's just super balls out funny no it's not, it's not i mean it's not this isn't dave Chappelle. you know right this not this is not patrice o'neill this is not doug stanhope this is just this is just trolling so i'm not saying you have to go out there and like oh i'm so mad about it you can just you go about your day it's fine but if you're asking like who does that appeal to it appeals to people who suck with women yeah, I mean, they're telling on themselves, you know? They're telling on themselves. Look, as someone who's run a YouTube channel coming up on nearly two decades, well, that's not true. Do you have any advice on how to balance content creation while having a day job? Uh, first of all, this is the thing is, I mean, it's been around a long time. It sat dormant for the vast majority of its existence. I just let it sit there and didn't really do anything with it. It was only before I did MK, the couple of years before that, where I really began to lean into it. And it was only because MMA fighting wasn't going to do shit for me. You know, I just kind of had to take it into my own hands. Um, a consistency is really the, I mean, that's the problem that I have uh, more than anything. It's consistency, consistency, consistency in uploading, consistency. And yes, quality matters over time, but you need to have a regular schedule of content. I mean, I can tell you, I, I can attest to the fact that it's my issue here. Right? It's my issue here. So something to think about. Dylan Dennis, that is, I don't know what that means. Here we go. Luke, the donk talking about the best coffee may have been looking at, I don't even, I'm not even going to say these names because I don't know if they're like racist troll jobs. It's coffee that contains partially digested coffee cherries collected post defecation. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'll have the great uh, Arabica beans that are grown in the hills of um, Pareda, Colombia. I'm good. I don't need, you know, this one was grown in the cultures of uh, rhino shit. I'm like, yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm all right with having a more mundane palette for coffee. I'm totally, I'm good on that. Thank you. <laughs> I love Tony, but he's going out the Bigfoot Silva way. Yeah, it's a little bit depressing. Um, I hope we're all wrong. You know, I think all of us would be real happy if he went in there and then just bodied Patty. I think all of us would be like, fuck yeah, right? Like the fight game is, it's usually brutal, but it ain't all brutal. But uh, is that the way that it goes around here? Is that how you guys recognize this going? That's not the way I see it usually going. Usually we get our heart. Remember what I mean? It's a different scenario, but it's like Chris Gutierrez and uh, Frankie Edgar. Did you get a happy ending there? No. Mm -mm. You got a real bad one. So, uh, yeah, I don't know what to say. <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's probably going to go real bad. It's probably going to go real bad. Boxing's exceptional year is relative to boxing. I'm not sure what that means. Boxing has had the biggest pay-per-views and the biggest gates in the history of the sport. Yeah, that's if boxing's having a great year relative to the high water marks of boxing, rest assured that's higher than the high water marks of MMA uh, in general. So I wouldn't, I don't know what that's supposed to mean. As for the coffee, the most expensive is made out of civet manure, who are strictly held to coffee cherries diet. Yeah, guys. I don't know who are these folks who are trying to get like the very best cup of Joe 
by picking through the feces of other animals. I don't need coffee to be so sublime as to have to resort to these measures. I can just, I, you know, I'm not going to get instant coffee. I like to grind my own beans. I buy them. Whole. You know, you know what kind of coffee I drink? I'll even put my cards on the table. Um, you know, if I have nothing left, I'll get something from Starbucks. But my favorite is a local company called Compass Coffee. It was founded by two Marine Afghanistan vets. They have shops all over the city. They sell inventory at supermarkets all over the city. It's a great company. I like, I like, they have a few different varieties that they like. I tend to like them a little bit earthier, um, you know, but I like the kind of medium bodied one typically that you find from the hills of Colombia. that those are, those are my favorite uh, in general. So, you know, I can, I can attest to the value of some other kinds, but that's it. I, I don't think, you know, people being like, oh man, I had the, this one has was stored in the, the, the ass cheeks of an elephant for 11 months and it gestated like a child and it grew into these beans that people then put into the asses of baboons and then people eat it out like it's a human centipede. It's really, this is the way to drink coffee. I'm like, yeah, okay. In that case, I will drink tea. If that's what we're talking about, you can sign me up for the green tea for, for Earl Grey. Okay. But if we're not doing that, I'm all right. Does Paramount see Bellator as a failure? Well, Paramount doesn't tell me anything, but they're selling it. So, um, can't be good. Oh, this is the guy's name. Shinji Horizakura. Horizakura. Shinji Horizakura. I'm sure I'm saying it fucked up. Shinji Horizakura. Let me double check that so that I'm not just saying some like racial slur in a different language. Uh, oh yeah, that's a real dude. It's a real dude. Let's pull up uh, his stuff if we can. I might be able to pull it up here. Give me, give me a second here. Oh yeah, this motherfucker is. Yeah, he's sick. He's sick. Super talented. I don't know if this is the guy, but he's real, 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 real good. Wow. Uh, let me pull this up if I may here. Hold on. Let's see here. Let me show you. Pull this back. All right, let's see here. Yeah, this is his work. I mean, you know, this is this is exceptional. I know it's another man's ass cheeks. I know that, you know, Brian Campbell would be losing his mind. But, yeah, like, dude, this is super clean super clean um so yeah he's not finished it either you can see he still has some work to do on the tigers on the midsection on the on the bodysuit but i mean look at the line work look at the shading everything is precise he's he's very good he's very very good all right let's get back to some of these questions uh who do you think are the top three to five mma teams camps as of now with the changes in belt holders and champions so let's go through this so some of the top ones i'm in no particular order ckb uh elite xc i still think american top even though it's sort of like a loose federation would be big ray longo's gym is a pretty big one um you know elevation um out in colorado's pretty good right they're pretty good actually they're great um, I still think Factory X out there produces some, you know, I don't know if it's one of the very, 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 very best ones, but it's, it's a high quality gym for sure. Mark Montoya is an excellent coach. Um, you know, I, I, I think the world of Kieran Fitzgibbons, we're going to talk next week uh, on the future of MMA striking. He's out of CSA gym. Um, trying to think of some other ones. Obviously, there's some other ones in other countries. The Fighting Nerds guys um, are, are great. Goat Shed in Miami is pretty good. MMA Masters is pretty good. 
obviously, you know, Kill Cliff is pretty good. I mean, there's a lot of good teams just in Florida. Those are all like teams that seem to stand out pretty consistently. Yeah, you can sort of decide from there. AKA is still, you know, a relevant for fighting force to an extent. Um, less so than they used to be, obviously, but still pretty good. Uh, Luke, what are your thoughts on Manifest Destiny in modern times? I don't, I don't, um, I don't. These are, what, what is that, a 19th century ideology? Jesus, who the fuck is writing me? Lord. Mike Perry claims Dylan Dennis is officially out of his fight with Logan Paul. And that he's in. Oh, motherfuck balls. Are you shitting me? Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, Logan Bra Dylan writes, Logan bragging about lawsuits again. He isn't built for the fight game. Oh, my God. He writes, quote, this pussy doesn't deserve me. I'm out. Oh, dude, let me tell you something. I feel bad for Logan Paul. I feel bad for... I can't believe I'm saying that. And I, you know, I know people who... I found out about CoffeeZilla after the fact. But when I say this, here's what I mean. Here's what I mean. I feel bad for him in the following sense. He went on from having to fight Dylan Dennis, it seems, to having to fight Mike Perry. Do Mike Perry, uh, Logan, someone sends this video to him. I don't, I don't wish any ill will. I really don't. I hope you have a good dentist. I hope you have a good dentist. You are going to need it if you're fighting Mike Perry. You're going to need it. Yeah, dude, that's going to go real bad. That's going to go real bad for him. Mike Perry is, uh, you know, is he the best fighter in the world? Uh, no, but uh, he's a real fighter. About that, there can be no mistake in it. He's a real fighter, and he is going to fuck Logan Paul up proper. If that, if what they're saying is real, if that's real, that's, that's going to be real bad for him. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I cannot believe that. Oh my God. Oh my God. Dude, here, here's Mike. Here's Mike Perry. Ready? I'm in. It's official, guys. I'm in. It's official, guys. It's official. I'm in. Yeah, me too, Mike. Go get him, Mike. Go get him. Mike's a real fighter, boy. Let me tell you. I don't need to tell you. Y'all know. Y'all know. Mike's a real fighter. Oh, oh that's gonna be so bad. That's gonna be. I'm, I'm being serious. If it was, if I, if you had to fight Mike Perry, I'd be like, I'm lining up a dentist. Soon as the shit's over. Soon as it's over. All right. Who's the best looking world leader, male or female? Who gives a shit? Honestly, I do mean that with with total sincerity. Um. Considering getting a bachelor's in philosophy, why did you do it? What jobs and benefits can I expect? Best decision I probably have made in my career ever. One of the one of the most impactful decisions. I see all of these pressures on college to deliver majors that automatically match the job market, and I understand that there, you know, people are getting these degrees because that's why they want them is to enhance their job prospects. But I think you you mess up the point of higher education when you too narrowly focus on that. Certain occupations, it's direct, right? You go to engineering school, you go to law school, you go to medical school. Some of that's post-grad. You're talking about a four-year bachelor's. The value in philosophy is not so much that you get to read these ancient texts and people grappling with ideas, although that is certainly very interesting, but it is a roadmap 
And it is a it is a way in which you can use tools from the reading of these texts and the explorations of them to understand the 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 limits of human knowledge, how it is achieved, what is true, what is untrue, what is a strong argument, what is a weak argument, what can you infer, what can you not infer. It is a roadmap to critical thinking. And of course, we are all human. And you might be like, Luke, you've been wrong on this and wrong on that. Yes, uh, a, a, a four-year degree will not save you from these things. They, they are intimately a part of life. But I know, I know that I have navigated around terrible roadblocks and other issues and understood arguments, argumentation, ideas, the taxonomy of ideas, and how they work together much better by virtue of getting a philosophy degree. My political science degree, I will tell you, that's the major, right? That was supposed to be the the one that would help me get into public policy, speech writing in DC, which in fact I did. Like it, That was the one that people were like, oh, he's got this degree that's, the philosophy one's fine, but it's this one. But everything we learned, and remember, I went to college from 98 to 2002, so this is, you know, 9-11 happened my senior year. Everything up to that point and even after was built on this, like, neoliberal world order, which is coming apart. Like, all of the many, not all of them, but many, 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 many of the international diplomacy lessons, of the lessons related to um, strategic force armament, all the lessons related to real politic and it's and everything that that, that descended from it, all of these things all proved to be false or at least bad ideas that didn't hold up over time. But everything I learned from philosophy has still held up and then some, because you're dealing with the most interesting, valuable texts around the nature of human knowledge that humans have been able to collect and, and the nature of who we are and the nature of what we are doing and the nature of ethics and how all of these forces and ideas and people and institutions and, and everything else, how they all interplay that has been the lasting contributor to my life. My my political science degree, <coughs> I'm glad I studied those things. They were fucking worthless. They, they do no good for me now. Every day of my life since I graduated, my philosophy degree has paid me back. Every day of my life. Best decision I ever made. What's the update on your quest to being TLT? You never said what happened when you follow up with a doctor. I canceled the appointment and I didn't go. I didn't go. Guys, I don't know how to explain this to you, but behind the scenes in my life, professionally, everything is a fucking disaster. <laughs> like, if you watch MK, I don't need to say much more than that. There is an enormous amount of difficulty we are trying to navigate. Um. And that has taken up a lot of my time and bandwidth. I yeah, we are dealing with a lot. That's the I can't really talk, say much more than that. Maybe in the future I'll be able to say a lot more. I have a lot more to say, um, but as it stands, we are. It's 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 tough right now. It's tough. So, um, I just don't think that would be an appropriate. I mean, I can't even concentrate on that. I can't even concentrate on that. I have to focus on. Um, this shit. So yeah. Uh, thoughts on mango biche, which if you guys don't know, it's like the, it's like he calls it the green mangoes. It's like super ripe. Okay. My wife loves it. They'll even make the smooth at the smoothies, but like the ices out of it in Colombia, you'll get them. I don't like them. It's like super, super, super tart mango. And it's like, I gotta tell you, like mango is supposed to be like deliciously sweet, not cloyingly acidic, but 
people love them. Like I'm outvoted on this one. People, people in Colombia love the acidity, love the tartness. It's just not for me. Thank you, EJ. I appreciate you. Thank you, Kenny. I appreciate you. Thoughts on the Paul scamming kids multiple times. Yeah, he should be made to answer for it. Um, I only followed the CoffeeZilla thing later and then out of far. And I think, what was it called? Uh, Paul's thing. Okay, crypto Zoo? Something like that? Was that what it was called? Crypto Zoo? You know. I mean, I, I did try to tell y'all crypto was a scam. Othello. Where's Othello at? By the way, Othello, he booked Benil. He set all this up. Shouts to Othello. He's a real one. He does such a great job as producer. I'm so lucky to have him in my life. But he did a lot of this about crypto. Did a lot of this. And now you know what he does? <laughs> he does none of that. It's just, it was, it's, you know, I know Bitcoin is surviving and, and there's some other ones that will. And it, it will probably play some role in our lives. But the role in which the scammers, I mean, that the problem was, not that there is nothing to crypto. There certainly might be something to it. Again, I think we, we shall see. Um, I remain quite agnostic about Bitcoin. It seems to be moving on. So we'll see. But the problem was not so much Bitcoin. The problem was the industry was so unregulated. It was filled with all of these scammers and frauds and thieves. You know, I mean, isn't Sam Bakeman fried going on trial like this week or something? I mean, or soon, right? So, you know, um, that was really the bigger issue was not so much that crypto has no value, but that that uh, there's just way too many bad actors in the space. My understanding is he has still some people to pay back. I don't know. I don't know why they can't make him. I don't quite understand the, that part of the story. But yeah, my understanding is that he's still on the hook for these guys, which would be unethical to not pay that back. If you watch the flagrant podcast with Dennis, you can see why he is likable and perhaps cool as BCC in him. But as I say this, he pulled out of the fight. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know Dylan. I've, I, uh, I, I did a story called The Rise of the Guillotine for MMA Fighting in 2014. And I interviewed Dylan for that fight, for that article. Um, and he was weird. After the interview was over, he was asking for like various media people's numbers to like get more attention. Like he was clearly scheming back then, which there's nothing wrong with that per se, but um, you could see how that derailed his focus, you know, in the end. Again, he was part of Marcelo Garcia's elite brown belt team, brown belt team, not the black belt team. Uh, have you seen the Atlantic piece on the UFC WWE merger? No. Makes me wonder how much MMA's politics stops it from going truly mainstream. I would have to read the article to give you some feedback. I've not seen that. I mean, the Atlantic isn't really the audience. MMA has, you can like this fact or you can hate this fact, but MMA has taken a, a, not a hard right-wing turn, but it's taken a right-wing turn where it's creating less and less space for people who aren't like that and recruiting more and more people who naturally share that worldview this is top down from promoters from fighters um for the other various other players in the sport it's <coughs> becoming much more homogenized in that way relative to what it used to be but that doesn't mean the audience is shrinking the audience could still be growing as a matter of fact uh it's just that there might be some replacement happening between a slightly more you know varied audience versus now one that is much more in political and then potentially socioeconomic alignment um, so that's not a question of ultimate popularity, but it's an, it's a question of like what kind of places MMA is ultimately going to move into. I can just tell you in the city, which, you know, like people ask what I do and then I tell them and then they've never, 
I mean, they can name Ronda Rousey and that's it. Like they don't, these are not people that would like when I, when you go to MMA events, you don't see people from where I live, if that makes sense or vice versa. Right. Like you just don't, they do have MMA events here, but they are typically centered around, um, Northern Virginia, which is, you know, uh, well, it's pretty similar to DC in certain ways, but a little bit different too, the further out you go. Anyway, um, I don't know if it's ultimately going to affect its popularity. That is to me, not so clear. In fact, maybe not at all. But I do believe that the audience is growing slightly more homogenized over time. That part I think is true. Dude, did Dylan Dennis really fucking pull out of this fight? That is going to be the funniest shit I've ever seen if that's true. That is just going to be the absolute best. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, he's getting killed on Twitter. He's getting killed. All right. We'll call it there. Last one on this. Dylan Dennis has his own CoffeeZilla video. Oh, yeah, but his was simpler, right? So his was, oh, didn't CoffeeZilla trick him? Like, he made him take a coin, and then the acronym of the coin was something like scam or something. And he was like, didn't do any due diligence. Was just like, hey, here's the money for this. Just do it. It was like, yeah, cool, whatever. And then just put it up, and then I think CoffeeZilla kind of caught him red-handed doing that. But, um, yeah, dude, holy shit. Holy shit. Uh, a couple more of these, and we'll call it a day. Rotang versus Superlek rematch in the USA next year. Would love to see it. Would, But with different five, five, or five uh, rounds instead of three, you know, people making weight, that kind of shit. But, yes. Can you tell us what winning the World MMA Awards means for MK? Let me break this down for you as very clearly as I can. Winning that could make all the difference in the world. Can't say that. I don't know that. But the first award that we won was great and cool, and our bosses liked it. The second one wasn't as valuable because to the audience or to our, to our bosses because it was kind of expected. Um, we have had an insanely challenging year. We've just really never told you guys about it. We can't really talk about it, but it's been very difficult. Okay. It's been extremely difficult and it's taken a toll on everybody, uh, me included. And as we head into 2024, I'll just say that it would be extremely beneficial to get it this time. And if we don't, it's not the end of the world. I don't want folks to be like, oh, Luke said if we got it, it'd be huge. And if we didn't, it'd be the end of the world. That's really not what I want folks to walk away from. It's not that. It's not that it would be hugely detrimental if we didn't, but the good news is it could be hugely beneficial if it is. So, yeah. Uh, Luke, can you talk, how can the donk masses help with MK's future? Please just continue to consume what we do. You have a substantial base that could use some focus and mobilization for both your careers. Yeah, listen, I think we're going to be okay in the end, but if you want to help us, do please spread the word, watch the stuff, listen to the, whatever you can do to be a part of the community, we'll take any of it. We'll take any of it. And I know that like there's more that we could be doing, but if you're asking on your end, that would be helpful. Last thing, is this right turn MMA good, bad, or neutral? We, time will tell. Time will tell. Other sports have taken left-wing turns, and they probably homogenized their audiences to a degree. But was it fatal ultimately for the sports? Probably not, right? Probably not. So why would the right-wing turn be really any different? It might be you know, off-putting to some, galvanizing to others could ultimately still grow their efforts and it wouldn't be fatal necessarily for any mainstream appeal. So it could go in that way very easily. I, I think the jury is out. Yeah. All right, guys, we got to wrap this up here. 
Crypto is a useful tool for scammers and criminals, combining both the benefits and disadvantages of fiat electric currency and lack of regulations and not much else. <laughs> yeah, I mean, also, it's like people who never made money. That's not quite true. That's not quite true. But there are people who are like, who were never in finance before. And this is partly a good thing, partly. But people who had no background in finance being like, oh yeah, I'm here. I, I make a lot of money in web three. And I'm like, you didn't, you've never made a lot of money ever. Like how did all of a sudden you just start making a bunch of money in web three? And then you begin to realize it's because it was funny money for in many, many cases. Not all of them, not all of them, but in many cases. All right. With that out of the way, big thanks to Benil Dariush. Email me, LukeThomasNews at gmail.com in terms of how you want me to sort these live chats from the fighter interviews that we do. Do you have any feedback on what we should do, who you want us to get on, anything? Please tell us. We would love to talk about it more. We'd love to do some more content and wrap it up for you guys. Thanks to everyone who joined as a member. You're greatly appreciated. And uh, yeah, we'll have this up on podcast very soon. It'll be a good time. I appreciate you guys joining. I appreciate Benil. Look out for his fight in December. And until next time, stay frosty. Mm-mm-mm.